I hate having this condition and I, and I wish I didn't have it, but it, one of the good things it's done to, to me is it has, you know, made me realize that there are things that previously I'd have been, I'd have shied away from that I should just accept and, and, and get on with things. Hello and welcome to Run The Business, the podcast that explores the place where running and leadership come together. We'll find out how running might help us with leading, managing people and generally being better in business. We'll also try and answer that question, do runners make better leaders? I'm Anthony Gay and today I'm joined by the CEO of the charity Parkinson's UK and someone with a strong track record of leading business around Europe, the Middle East and Africa. He was the CEO of Zurich across those territories. He's also completed 30 marathons in the last few years. He's the official double Guinness World Record holder for the most distance covered in both the 12-hour and 24-hour three-legged race. I'm sure we'll talk about that. And everything I've just outlined, he's done whilst dealing with Parkinson's disease himself. Gary Shaughnessy, welcome to Run the Business. Thanks, Ant. Good to be here. Gary, how are you today? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really well, apart from my legs are a bit stiff following a, a marathon yesterday. But um, a bit stiff is probably an understatement, to be honest. Now, you can't just sort of drop that in and, and say, <laughs> de- dealing with a marathon yesterday. Tell us a little bit about where you were and uh, what marathon it was. I was in Valencia for the uh, the Valencia Marathon. And I was a week before that, I was in San Sebastian for the Zurich-sponsored San Sebastian Marathon. And... Uh, um, I ran with with a group uh, who, unfortunately, the children have ataxia intelligentsia, um, and their families uh, pushed them in wheelchairs. And, and on both occasions, we ran with them, and uh, it was absolutely inspirational. But uh, th- this this group really do remind you of uh, how lucky we are, and how easy it is to to moan and groan about things when people really, you know, some people some people really have. Uh, a very tough life and a very tough situation. Gary, so much to cover today, and, I, and I'm so pleased to have you as a guest on, on the podcast. But start by telling me about 2014 and how you found out you had Parkinson's. Uh, well, I, I had uh, discovered that I'd got a, a bit of a tremor in uh, one of my hands, one of my fingers in particular, uh, and I couldn't work out what it was. I went to uh, the doctor um it wasn't causing me a lot of problem it was just weird really and she didn't know what it was either she thought it was a restless leg syndrome which um and told me to go away for a month and come back again and um it just got slightly worse um and then um they they suggested i go to see a neurologist i went to see the neurologist and um uh, he got me to walk up up and down outside in the corridor which Sounds a weird thing to do, but one of the things about Parkinson's is you tend to swing your arms less. And um, he came back and said, I'm pretty much convinced you've got Parkinson's, which is a real bolt out of the blue. I'd heard of Parkinson's, but I didn't know what on earth it really was all about. And for people listening to this who don't know what it's about, could you just give us a, an overview of, of what it means and, and what it involves? Well, there's about 40 different symptoms of Parkinson's and um, the reality is everyone who has Parkinson's seems to have a slightly different version of it um, or a slightly different journey. Uh, everyone um, who knows about Parkinson's knows about the tremor and about 
three quarters of people who have Parkinson's do have a tremor, but it, it can also cause um, slowness of movement. It can cause lots of um, mental health issues. There's quite a correlation with um, dementia. You can have um, bowel problems, urinary problems. It's almost, all, you know, across the whole uh, the whole of your body, frankly. And it's it's a degenerative condition. There is no known cure at the moment. The medication that we take masks the condition. The main medication was actually devised before Neil Armstrong made it to the moon. And after a while, it, it you know, it stops working effectively. So we're, we're looking to try and find something that slows it down. One thing that does slow the condition down, which a lot of people don't recognise, is exercise, actually, which is a big part of the, the reasons which, which I sort of became even more focused on exercise as a result of it. So tell me about your exercise routine before 2014, because, you know, and I know we'll talk about what, you know, what you've done since then, but you have done amazing things uh, and achieved so much on, you know, from a physical point of view. How active were you before that? I was reasonably active. I mean, I played um, football at a decent level, not not that good, but at a decent level till I was 45. I'd run four marathons, I think, up until 2014. And, and I was you know, generally reasonably fit, actually. And this podcast is about the relationship between running and, and leadership. Had you become aware of, of your health, your fitness, as something which went in line with the work that you were doing? Because you held senior positions uh, in, in Zurich. So were you aware of running as something that helped you be the best person that you could be? Um, not to anywhere near the extent that I now see it. I mean, I, I used running as a way of relaxing and getting rid of stress, particularly, and I still do that. Um, I find I can't run, breathe and think at the same time. And so I try not to think and just run and run and breathe. And it's amazing how you can leave the house You've got something that's niggling at you or a real problem that's just, you just don't know what the answer to it is. You forget about it and um, you go running and by the time you got back to the house, there's a solution or or at least some options. So I, I use running and sport generally as a way of kind of switching off, but but also giving myself some relaxation time, which seemed to help with problem solving. And, and thinking sp- specifically about your leadership style what how would you how would you describe yourself as as a leader and how you've evolved in the last few years you know you're obviously ceo of the parkinson's uk charity how does your leadership style there sort of differ to to you know where you've been over the years my leadership style is um i think very different from where it was certainly you know 15 20 years ago and and for the better when when you get diagnosed with something like Parkinson's, it creates a vulnerability and it makes you realise that actually you don't know all the answers, you know, you, you're not perfect. You can't be this, you know, leader that's in front of everyone giving every answer, which kind of is a good thing, actually, because what it did to me was it, it made me uh, recognise it wasn't a bad thing to, to accept you didn't know things. And actually the best possible, I mean, my job really has always been as a leader, I just didn't recognise it, but has always been 
to bring together the best teams, to, to bring together people who have different skills, different capabilities and make them perform or help them perform their best by knocking down barriers that are in their way rather than by knowing the best answer to everything. And I think, you know, being vulnerable kind of makes you realise that. So, so in a way, it's been a really good thing. Why did the exercise, the activity, the running become so important to you uh, in the last few years? What was the thing that made you want to go and do all this stuff? I always, when I went to a different country, uh, I'd always go running, you know, just to get a sense or a feel of, of the country that I was going to. And I was on a, a an event in Lisbon not long after I was diagnosed. And I, I went, got up in the morning, went, went running, and I was just getting slower and slower and slower. And it really was a, a pretty sort of grim process. And I rang my wife up and said, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. And she said, you know, this is a long-term condition and you've just got to focus on what you can do. And it was almost like a turning point. And she, it was absolutely the right thing to say. It was a turning point for me and it um, made a big difference to how I saw the situation I was in. And, and it, you know, it kind of reminded me that basically I needed to take some level of control over my situation. And actually exercise is one of the few things that can slow the progress of Parkinson's it slows the progress of lots of chronic conditions and um, I'd found the thing that I could you know both focus on for myself but also I think there's a tendency that people kind of assume you've got a neurodegenerative condition that everything declines and I, I just don't agree with putting a, a ceiling on yourself in that way so part of it for me is can I also raise awareness amongst people with Parkinson's that we can do something about about our own condition in this way and raise awareness amongst people generally about what, what condition Parkinson's is. What did, you know, your, your colleagues and, you know, your family do and how did they behave when they understood that you and realised that you had Parkinson's and, and understood what it was? How, how did the people around you uh, rally to your support my family have been absolutely outstanding and incredible really i mean to the extent that my wife janet and my three kids michael daniel and bethan all ran the london marathon with me just over every year ago and bethan i don't think has forgiven me for it yet for entering but um <laughs> entering into the race and and having the you know temerity to do so but they've been brilliant they've been so supportive and my colleagues have been superb. I mean, I worried that I, by telling people about Parkinson's, it would embarrass them or it would be difficult to deal with. Or, But you get to a point where you haven't got much alternative. And I've found that, you know, almost exclusively people have been supportive, empathetic. Uh, and what I want and what I think people with Parkinson's generally want is awareness and empathy, not sympathy. So I don't get, I don't get a break. I don't get a you know, a free pass because I have Parkinson's. I just get treated as Gary Shaughnessy and that's what I want to be the case. You mentioned the positive mental attitude that, you know, it's important to have in anything in life, I think, really. Why do you have that? Why, why did you decide to deal with this head on and take this positive mindset in, into dealing with the situation? Um, because what's the alternative? I mean, the alternative is you you 
allow yourself to become a victim and you allow yourself to be immediately defeated by it. And, you know, I mean, people, lots of people I know have issues, conditions, you know, family troubles, whatever it happens to be. Yes, it's not a nice condition. It's relentless. But just giving up and and just taking, a, you know, the, the, the negative view on things is not going to help. So I've, I've always had the view that you focus on what you can do and what you can improve rather than um, allow things to be you. Mm-hmm. And and practically, Gary, do do you need to prepare differently? And let's talk about running, which is is this podcast's you know focus. What how does how do you approach? I mean, you mentioned you know you did a marathon yesterday. Does your prep uh, change massively compared to somebody who doesn't have Parkinson's in in approaching a marathon? I don't think massively. I mean, things like I have to take my medication on time and so on. That that's quite important. You know, you've also got to consider. I, I'd not for, for marathons in particular, but I did a an event in the summer called Arch to Arc, where I ran from Marble Arch down to Dover, and then we, with a group we rode the the distance across the the channel, and then cycled to the Arc de Triomphe. And on the the rowing bit, I was unfortunately seasick. And when you're seasick and you've got medication that you've thrown up, you know that makes a big difference. And you don't know how much medication you've really taken on board, etc. So it's practical things like that that are a real challenge. I mean, for me, the the challenges of Parkinson's and and my medication are actually more about work and and timing, you know, because when I get very tired, which doing a marathon will cause me to do inevitably, my medication works less effectively. So I'm more likely to, you know, have to to turn up and my tremor is, is, is not good. And that's... It doesn't seem to cause anyone else an issue, but it does cause me an issue. And so I, it's more about making sure you get more sleep when you need to, etc. Certainly, when I stepped down from the full-time role as CEO of EMEA, that was absolutely the right thing for me to do because I can now just manage my days a bit more effectively and, and make sure I get a bit more sleep and make sure I get the rest that I need. But it doesn't. It doesn't stop me doing the running. Certainly. Can you tell us a little bit about your role at Parkinson's UK and and how that came about and and you know what that entails in because I know you mentioned raising awareness is you know really really important. So tell us a little bit about what you do there. So I'm I'm the chair of Parkinson's UK and it's it's a, a charity that that focuses on two things really. Firstly, helping people live with the condition and helping those people who live with it through someone else as well. So carers as well as people who have the condition itself. There's 145,000 people in the UK diagnosed with the condition. There's 18,000 new diagnoses every year and helping people deal with it is is critical. Uh, The second element is searching for a cure or a way of slowing or, or stopping the condition itself. Uh, so we're we're the largest charity in terms of Parkinson's research spend in uh, in Europe, and there isn't enough spent. But every everyone would say this about every condition, but there isn't enough spent to accelerate the the need for a cure and and get get a cure rather than you know continuing to to have that eighteen thousand people being diagnosed and and have the same outlook as as certainly I had when I was diagnosed. 
So the main thing for me as, as the chair is how do we help the, the charity get awareness uh, and also how do we help people who have the condition get awareness of what they can do? Because it, you know, for a lot of people, that diagnosis is very difficult for them to take because most people don't really understand what the condition's about. And, you know, the first few months can be a real, really troublesome time because people kind of almost assume that they're going to decline more rapidly than is often the case. And it it sounds like the, uh, you know, this search for a, for a cure uh, is... Well, it, it, it's important, but is there a is there a timeline? Is there any sort of sense of how close this is? There are bits of progress, and um, I hesitate to be too positive because there has been progress before. It's got to a certain level, you know, in terms of from the laboratory into clinical trials with with humans, and then things either haven't worked or they've they've not been large enough scale to be proven, etc. So I, I think there are. You know, I'm not a, a scientist, but it seems to me there are plenty of examples of, of where there, there could be progress and there could be success. It's just, it's very expensive to do clinical trials and, and to test everything at the level that you really want to. I want to talk a little bit about running and some of those amazing uh, runs that that you've been part of over the years. I mean, first question is, is, is there a run that sticks out in your mind as a special one i mean they all sound amazing but is there something that you kind of recall and it brings back some some lovely memories of a particular running experience oh gosh um there's quite there are there are a few i mean i i did the young marathon in switzerland which is roughly 25 kilometers flat and then 17 kilometers up the side of the mountain and about halfway up the mountain you go around the corner and you see you know, the the side of the Eiger. And it's just such an incredible experience. And, I mean, I found with marathons, full stop, you know, you just get people collaborate, they talk, you meet people. Um, I mean, one of the benefits for me as an individual of doing marathons or, or doing running full stop is that you get to talk to people and, and, and in a different environment than you would do if you were, you, you know, sort of in a, in a business meeting. And... Um, it breaks down barriers, you know. When I go out running, when I've been out running in in in, in marathons in uh, the Zurich sponsor, where I used to be, and you know, in terms of the Zurich business, I get to meet a lot of people within the business who I wouldn't have met in such an informal way. And it, it you know, I've, I've sort of veered off your question to be honest, but um, I just think all bits of of running are really helpful to me, actually both in terms of understanding people, but also just the different experiences in different countries I've had. The camaraderie is amazing, isn't it? And, I, and this comes up so often in you know on the podcast of that there's a, a spirit, an energy around running. And whether that's, you know, a park run on a Saturday morning or, or whether it is a, you know, the, a huge marathon, there is something about a, a community of people coming together. It doesn't matter how quick they are or, or you know, it's just, People in the same space doing the same thing. It's so powerful, isn't it? It, it is. I, I um, just after I stepped down, we, we went, Janice and I went on a sort of um, a long holiday and we went to New Zealand and I was running a marathon in New Zealand and I got talking to this guy who was a chef 
from Argentina. And, you know, I would never have met a chef from Argentina in my, my sort of normal business life. And we had a great chat and I've kept in touch with him. I've kept in touch with a lot of people I've met through running. And uh, when you've got to go through 26.2 miles with someone, it, it's, you know, somehow there is a, a bond that comes as a result of it. It's, it's a great thing to do. And of all those marathons, is, is there a favourite? I know you said that, you know, they've all been amazing. Is there one favourite that you, you have out of all those? Ah, gosh. Um, th- I mean, they're all for different reasons. I've, d- I've d- done different things, but San Sebastian, that was the second time that I've run San Sebastian and it, it is a lovely place to be. I mean, it's a beautiful venue. There's about 6,000 people who compete in the, the um, marathon and half marathon and 10K put together. So it's not that big a, a, an event, but there's just such a lot of support from the, the locality, the community there. And it, I, I don't, it's difficult to know how to describe it, but it's a great place in the world and a great place to go. And, and um, it's given me great memories. Tell me a little bit about this Guinness world record for the three-legged uh, 12 and 24-hour uh, races. How, how did that even come about? What, what was the thinking behind that? Well, um, I'd been, I'm, I'm a member of a local running club Tadley runners and we we've had a few trips abroad for for, for marathons over the years and we'd been to Kazichi for the the world peace marathon and I was talking about you know each year I try and do something a little bit more extensive than the year before and just doing another marathon another marathon was was you know going to be difficult to do I think so someone suggested why not come up with with breaking a, a world record and you look at all the world records and, and they're either exceptionally crazy or exceptionally difficult. So, you know, breaking the world record for the 100 metres just wasn't going to be the case. And a guy called Andy Tucker, who's a triathlete, um, said, why don't we try and break the three-legged world record? Mm-hmm. And we started investigating it. We were going to do a the world record in 2020 and we got people lined up to you know, come along and do a short distance themselves. A local community in Silchester was superb and allowed us to use their facilities. And then obviously COVID came and we had the problem that Andy and I, because we weren't in the same bubble, couldn't actually be, you know, strapped together on our legs to do the event. Yeah, we'd done so much preparation, we decided to have a first go at it with a mannequin tied to both of us in, in between us to keep us socially distanced. So we did 24 hours doing that. That obviously wasn't official as a world record. So we came back and did it in October 2021. And it was just, you know, it, it, it's difficult. It sounds a daft thing to do. And it was a bit of a daft thing to do. But the atmosphere, the support we had from people who ran alongside us, the support we had from the community and the support we had from people who sponsored and uh, the event were, were just was just superb, actually. What do you talk about when you when you with somebody for so long? Did, did you manage to keep the conversation going? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's weird actually that after a while you get used to a bit of silence. So we did a fair bit of training together. I mean, we we get on really well. We've done, you know, Andy was a big help in in uh, and his partner Teresa in in the Arch to Arc setup that we did. But after a while of, of running strapped to someone, you do get used to not having to to talk that much. We did, you know, we know each other very well. We've talked about lots of things. 
Unfortunately, um, Andy has some really bad jokes, which I know the punchlines to all of them. <laughs> but um, it, you just you just have to uh, accept that you can't. You're not going to speak for 24 hours. Gary, you're an inspiration, and I know you don't like being put up on a pedestal as 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 somebody that's inspirational, but you are. But in terms of leadership and business, who are the people that inspire you? Where do you look to to get your energy and inspiration from? Well, that's very kind of you, but um, where do I look? That's that's the important thing. I mean, I, I I look all around me. I mean, when I was, I used to work for Fidelity, the investment house, and um, I learned a lot from Anthony Bolton, who wouldn't have described himself as a leader. He was a tremendous investor. But the way he dealt with not being as successful when, when he launched the China Special Situations Trust, as he had been with his UK investments, um, I mean, that, that sort of ability to learn, ability to recognise you haven't always got it right, that, that was something I learned from. I've tended to learn a lot from people in the teams that, you know, I've, I've worked with. So people like Tulsi Naidu, who, who was CEO of, of Zurich in the UK after me, but is now the um, uh, CEO of Asia Pacific for, for Zurich. I mean, she's in you know, such a bright person who had, has an ability to look at things in a very lateral way. Um, I mean, I could, I could go on. I think, I think it's really important that you're almost a bit of a sponge in terms of uh, the way that you learn and, and the way that you see how different people um, react to different situations rather than necessarily always looking for a role model in exactly the role that you're in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, just to touch upon, you mentioned Zurich there. It sounds like they they were amazing in, in supporting you and helping you, you know, on the, you know, on the journey and still are at, at this point. What, what, you know, what, why, you know, why was that? And, and can you sort of speak to that importance of, of companies embracing you know their people and, and the challenges that they might have because as you said at the beginning you almost uh, feel like I think you said and I, I'm paraphrasing but you said you, you didn't you're almost a bit embarrassed to bring it up and don't want to you know talk about it but what why and how how do companies how they react in a certain way how, why is that so important and and what was the difference at Zurich I mean it, it's it's difficult to understate how important it is or overstate how important it is rather but um I mean, Mario Greco was was my boss in Zurich, and when I decided to stand down, he was just superb. Why was he superb? I think because underneath, you know, um, all the, the the issues around you know managing a business, etc. I mean, all businesses typically are around people, and you know, Mario has a great heart actually, and um, and recognised that the, the situation I was in, and and was just personally supportive as well as for the company. I find it difficult to know why other than the, you know, the culture of an organization. It's, um, you know, it's about recognizing the value of your people. And, and I think it's, it's, it's just back to this, this age old comment, which is you, you need to treat people the way that you'd like to be treated. And, and I think most organizations that have that kind of philosophy and value their people and value what's different about them as well as, you know, I mean, it, it does go hand in hand with issues of inclusivity and diversity, and it it's just part of the culture, I think. And it's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, it's part of the culture. Yeah. yeah. It is. 
Do you have any specific examples where running has given you a lesson or, or a takeaway, something that you've been able to transfer into your work or into your life? I'm not sure about a takeaway quite so much, but I, I do remember I was running in Frankfurt and um, I, the lesson that, that I learned is a very simple one, which is it becomes very easy when you when you speak English and, and most business meetings, everyone speaks English to you. You assume that you, you don't need any different language skills and that everyone else will be able to communicate with you in the language that you're used to and you're comfortable with. And I went, went out running in Frankfurt and, and, you know, it's a very modern and cosmopolitan city and it's, you, you know, it, it's a very well-known business city. And I got lost and person after person that I came up to didn't know, um, couldn't speak English. And I hadn't got my phone with me and... You know, I, so I had no way of working out how to get back until eventually someone very kindly did know English and managed to sort my, my direction back. And I was about three quarters of an hour late for, for a dinner that I was due to go to. But the point being, you know, I just assumed that everyone would uh, could accommodate my lack of language skills. Uh -huh. And I'd done no pre-planning, pre-preparation. And... Um, and I learned a lesson very quickly, actually. So the lesson there is is to know how to ask wherever you are in the world, know how to ask to get back to where you came from and where you started. Correct, correct. And uh, what, what an old boss of mine used to call it curse of assumption. You know, you just assume something and it and then it uh, comes back to buy you very quickly. Yeah. I think the other thing that um, uh, I've, I've learned is if you're going out running with a team of people from, from work is... It's very easy for it to, to stay as a business kind of mindset where everyone's trying to run at the same speed or the speed that the, the most senior person runs at. And um, actually, again, it comes back to if you if you are sort of relaxed and you're prepared to, you know, to tell people that you're actually tired and you're, you're you, you know, you're, you're running, it's running too fast and whatever. And everyone relaxes and everyone just gets on with the run rather than trying to have this sort of ridiculous thing where the most senior person, everyone's trying to um, to to support them and make sure that they, they look good and that uh, they, they see it as a, as a, a sort of a development session, which it isn't. It's just about relaxing and enjoying yourself. Because authenticity is, is, is an overused word these days in, in terms of business and, and leadership, but it is so important, isn't it, that leaders these days um, are, are genuine, are, are authentic. And, and it sounds like that was something, a realisation for you around uh, just being who you are and being honest about who you are and, and how you're feeling. And, and actually, it's not a weakness, is it? It's, it definitely isn't. It makes you stronger. It, it does make you stronger. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I hate having this condition and I, and I wish I didn't have it. But it, one of the good things it's done to, to me is it has you know, made me realize that there are things that previously I'd have been, I'd have shied away from that I should just accept and, and, and get on with things. And, you know, being vulnerable is one of those. And it allows people, the fact that you're vulnerable allows people to be more open with you. And that means you get to see a different side of people and maybe a more open side, which means it's easier for you then to to help them succeed and help knock down the right barriers for them. Thinking of the uh, Parkinson's UK role that you have, Gary, what, what are the objectives across the next 
year? What, what kind of things are you looking to achieve? We're looking firstly to make sure that people really do understand the benefit and the opportunity that comes with exercise. So we've got a lot of arrangements set up with people like Everyone Active so that you know people can get use of, of their local gym, their local sports centre for specific active activity courses, exercise courses, etc. We're also looking to, to try and increase the support around Parkinson's nurses. So Parkinson's nurses are brilliant. The first person who, who I spoke to who really knew what they were talking about and could relate to me was a was a Parkinson's nurse. The number of people they have to support in managing the condition is about twice the level it should be. So we're trying to, to work with the NHS to, to try and, at difficult times for the NHS, but to try and in, increase access to, to Parkinson's nurses. And then thirdly, we think there's a real opportunity with technology to help people understand more about their condition. And this, I think, does link very strongly into exercise. So I can, I, I can use my smartwatch to know so much about what I do, you know, the, the speed that I'm going, the recovery time, the stride pattern, all of those kind of things. And, and we think there's more that can be done. We already know there's more that can be done in terms of using smartwatches to understand how people with Parkinson's recover and what's the best kind of combination of, of exercise for them. And then fourthly, we've got a whole range of different clinical trials that we're currently supporting, and we want to make sure that we continue to do that. And, and, and hopefully one of them moves forward to, to ultimately provi providing a cure or, or a, um, uh, something that stops the condition. If I could pick up on that uh, data point, you mentioned the information. I think it's quite an interesting space as technology becomes more a bigger part of, of health, fitness and, 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 and running specifically. Were you always a data person and, and, and how how do you use the data that you get these days from your smartwatch? So I was always a data person. I, was, I mean, I started my career was in direct marketing and um, I loved the combination, I, I still do, of, of marketing and creativity and data-driven and, you know, and ob objectivity. So that, that's always fascinated me. I probably spend too much time focused on the data from my smartwatch because sometimes it's not a bad idea to just go and run rather than to, to worry about, you know, whether you, you were faster on this segment or that segment. But I think the data... So, for example, we know that, that exercise is good for you for Parkinson's. We know that generally more intensive exercise is better. But, but do we know enough about... You know, for you, isn't it, each individual, how that links with nutrition? You know, is, is there a limit to how intensive that exercise should be? And I think a, a more personalised experience of, of exercise and nutrition and diet and mindfulness, I think, is, is within the grasp if we, if we pay the right kind of attention to it, actually. Do you run with music or are you somebody who likes to have silence and natural sounds around you when you're running? I, I like having natural sound, actually. Um, if I go running with Tadley Runners, then I, I just talk to people. I, well, I don't, it's not quite true to say I talk. I listen because talking and running and, you know, it's not easy for me. I, I, not because of Parkinson's, just because I think, it, you know, it, it's always a, always a bit difficult to actually concentrate on talking. But actually listening, I, I quite like. And if I run on my own... I just, I'm fortunate to live out in the countryside and I just love, you know, that opportunity. So, 
music doesn't do it for me, but it does it for a lot of people. So, Running aside, Gary, uh, can you name a business tool, an app, maybe even a person, something that you, you couldn't do without? Oh, gosh. That's a difficult question. And, um, it, well, in terms of social media, we, we have Zurich, uh, we have a uh, thing called Workplace, and it's it's an equivalent to Facebook, and uh, but in in internally within the organisation, and I think it's a really good way of uh, seeing how the mood music, what people you know really think about things. So I, I wouldn't say I couldn't do. I don't think there's anything that I couldn't do without actually. And one of the things that you learn when you you sort of move from you know being on a group executive to to then stepping down and and you know having a much more sort of life of more variety i mean i'm chair of england athletics i'm chair of parkinson's uk and i'm chair of the z foundation they're all very different and i've had to adjust to those differences and it teaches you that you you know that it's it's not apps that i can't do without it's people that i can't do without mm, good answer do, do, do you miss that, that other life and the the stress and tensions that went with those roles that you you did uh, a few years ago i miss i i genuinely miss the people actually i mean i'm lucky to to still be involved through the foundation but i i got the chance to you know at one point i, I was chief executive of the global life business and you know getting to meet people in south america asia pacific as well as all throughout the whole of europe I mean, I learned so much about different cultures and different perspectives. And I, I love that kind of thing in terms of just learning about uh, how others see the world. And, you know, the world we've got is, it's a very, I know this is a sort of very, just a truism, but we, we live in a incredible world in many respects and an appalling world in many other respects. And I, I miss understanding and, and learning through different people in in the way that I I used to, but then with those three roles that I've got, I, I'm I've got an incredible opportunity to learn more and be involved more in doing something about some of the the challenges that we've got in in this world uh, in the in the roles I'm mm-hmm. in now. Business aside, Gary, what's your your favourite bit of running kit or accessory that you couldn't do without from a running perspective? <laughs> Now this is the this is where when I say I couldn't do without you know anything at work in terms of apps I'm completely the opposite in terms of my running I I could not do without my Garmin watch since I've I've got the I've got the new uh, my no my new Nike Air shoes I I struggle to wear ordinary trainers uh, I I love on trainers though they're really they've got such a good feel to them it's, I'm almost giving a brand plug aren't I that's but, okay um, yeah. I'm also one of these people who I go to the expo before before a marathon. I know it's too late. I know it's, you know, I've entered the, the thing and it's too late to try and, but the, the sort of magic roller or magic beans or whatever, anything that that says it's going to make it easier for you to get around this 26.2 miles, I'm, I'm a sucker for, I'm afraid. Yeah, both the Garmin watches, the on-trainers, love those. So, you know, great big up. Which, which Garmin, let's get a bit geeky, which Garmin are you, are you uh, packing at the moment? Phoenix, uh, I think it's Phoenix Seven Pro. I think that's the right um, the right explanation for it. Fantastic. Uh, and the stats. I've got a Garmin, and it's now started doing reports in the morning to tell me um, 
to, to preempt me sort of looking through to see how I've slept and, and how ready for exercise I am. You, you get a little report in the morning, which I'm quite enjoying at the moment. Yeah, I the sleep score, I, I every time I, I get my sleep score, I try and work out because sleep is one of my problems with, with Parkinson's. And it, it's kind of one of my moments of the day when I when I get a sleep score that's quite good. So it's amazing. what I don't know how the, how some of the technology works, but uh, some of it's absolutely amazing. It's clever stuff. I'm still waiting for a sleep score of 100. I don't know if that is even possible, but I've I've, I've not not got close to that yet. But that would be uh, that would be the, the the pinnacle, wouldn't it? Sounds brilliant. Worth celebrating. I think. <laughs> what advice would you? give to anybody listening to this who's who's in business or a leadership role who's considering getting more active and specifically taking up running well i'm biased but i would i would definitely say try it but don't be overawed by it so don't feel that you've got to be a full-on triathlete or a full-on marathon runner or a full-on you know um track and field athlete do what what's good for you and decide why you want to run actually because I see so many people who have a have a great experience just by the social side that comes with running in their local club or um, just having that, that time to, to switch off. When you're in your, your 20s, you know, you, it doesn't necessarily always feel that you do need to switch off. But I've, I think I've, it's made me a better person and it's made me, you know, understand the benefits of, of a, a much more rounded way of looking at life. But the most important thing is just enjoy it. What can people listening to this uh, do if they want to find out more about Parkinson's uh, and understand more about the goals that you described? Wh- where do they go and, and how do they do that? Well, if they're in the UK, it's uh, Parkinson's UK website. And overseas, if, if you've got people listening in from the US, you've got you know, people like the Fox Foundation, um, PD Avengers. I mean, there's lots of information, but I would go to one of the recognised websites. There's a lot of um, real tripe, unfortunately, on, on the um, the internet about uh, about Parkinson's with, with with miracle cures and so on. So go to go to the um, recognised websites. There are some groups for those people who who have Parkinson's or know people who have Parkinson's and. There's, you know, Parkinson's running groups, there's Parkinson's cycling groups. And personally, I like to run with people, all, all different people, but having people who um, are in the Parkinson's community who, have, who are runners as well has been great because you, you can learn from them and their experiences. So there's lots of ways of tapping into running as well as Parkinson's and, and looking at what the benefit it can make for you. And if somebody has had a friend... Uh, a relative who's been diagnosed, you know, recently. What, what what advice, Gary, would you give to them in the way they support and engage? Because I think it's, it's been so enlightening in this conversation to to understand a bit more about the disease and and how it affects people. But if people are un, unsure of how to support a loved one, what 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 one bit of advice would you would you give them on a personal level? I'd say remember that they're Gary Shaughnessy or Jane Smith or whoever it is first and Parkinson's doesn't define them. So, you know, if you treat people as an individual and recognise that Parkinson's is is something that they happen to have rather than, you know, be totally obsessed with Parkinson's, that that feels to me, always seems to make things, you know, more reasonable and more realistic. A lot of people with Parkinson's end up, you know, almost 
classified and treated it completely differently as a result of it. And and that's that's not typically good for them or good for you. And to finish, Gary, tell us about your next 12 months. What, what's in store? What goals, what ambitions do you have for the next year? I've just, I'm in the process of trying to work this one out, but we think that we're going to do a thing called Try Across America, which will be swimming in the um, Pacific for a mile, a relay cycle across America, and then a marathon at the other end. Madrid is is the marathon that I need to do to have done all the Zurich sponsored marathons in Spain, so I'd like to do that. I've just entered Paris. We're going to do a few things in with kayaking that I did, uh, as I did last year, and I'm due in March to do um, a um, St. Kitts to Nevis swim so um, we've got a few things lined up already. It's going to be another very busy year. I mean, the reality is um, we we didn't talk much about mental health, although, but the power of running is crucial to mental health. And, you know, a, a lot of the work that we do is around the challenges of access to, to sports, but also how sport can be a real benefit to people's mental health in, in, and in a situation where... Uh, one in seven young young people now have a mental health condition. I mean, it's it's frightening numbers, and you know, sport can actually be. I wouldn't say a miracle drug because it's it's not, but it can be a great way of helping people, particularly young people, preempt the conditions that that can come with mental health issues and and do something about them. You mentioned the space that um, and the positive impact that running can have for young people. I think there's something about coming to running later in life. And as leaders, we we, we realize, or as anybody, we realize that actually running is this great thing that gives us this space and this, you know, chance to, you know, get away from from things that might be going on in in the world and to give you some perspective and a chance to sort of, um, uh, you know, just maybe ponder some challenges, but the mental health benefits are enormous. Yes. I think the point I was making was that uh, when we are young and into running and athletics, there's a danger it, it becomes very goal-driven and very, I just need to get faster and I need to win, I need to do this. And if there is a way, and it sounds like this is what you're doing, a way to um, give young people uh, an opportunity to see running specifically as a tool, as a as a enjoyment that they can do to help with their mental health. And it doesn't all have to be about winning and, and getting faster, because I know that that can uh, put people off at, at a young age. Yeah, that's spot on. I totally agree with that. I mean, the, the, the reality is that, for you know, a lot of people, it's about creating self-confidence. It's a, about creating, a, a, you know, a place where they can be themselves and... It's not. It doesn't have to be about being the best. It has to be about enjoyment and and you know learning about yourself and enjoying yourself. And um, I, I mean, I think with mental health, less than one percent of health spend uh, from government health spend across the world is on mental well-being, and most of it's on recovery. So when things have become really serious, you know, as opposed to early activity to preempt to give to create a safe space for people to create social space for people and yes that you know there's a place for elite sport but there's also a place for social sport and that's that applies whether you're six or whether you're 66. Gary uh and I'm gonna say it again but it has been a very 
thought-provoking uh, and inspiring conversation. I, I'm so grateful you, you've been able to chat with us and run the business this week. Uh, I love the way you said, I've got a few things lined up for, for, for the next 12 months and then, and then reeled off this list of, of, of stuff. If that doesn't motivate people to get out there and do something and seize the day, uh, then I don't know what will, because it, it's fantastic to hear about all the things that you, you know, you have lined up for 2023 and beyond. So thank you so much for, for your time and uh, inspiring us with your story. Thanks, Sam. I've really enjoyed it. It's been good to chat and good to get to know you and um, really appreciate coming on. Thanks to Gary Shaughnessy for his time on Run the Business this week. I'll be honest, that was a big one for me. Uh, Gary's insight into leadership alone was so on the money and he made his point so succinctly, clearly, honestly and so humbly for a, a man who's achieved so much. A few quick takeaways on the running side of things. Deciding why you want to run is a great question to ask yourself. Running is way more than simply a competitive exercise. For most people, it's not that at all, is it? Gary touched on the social benefits from running and at the same time, the space it can give you when you need it. But obviously to do all this whilst dealing with the challenges of Parkinson's disease is just something else. If you'd told me that doing all the things that Gary does was possible with Parkinson's disease, I wouldn't have believed you. And I guess my awareness was limited and I had that perspective uh, that was simply wrong. So the conversation wasn't just inspiring, and it was, uh, it was enlightening as well. And that's one of the major things that I know Gary is wanting to do for Parkinson's, awareness of what it is and what it really means, and to change attitudes. And I, I hope it's given you something to think about as much as it has uh, for me. Gary's arch to arc challenge that he he mentioned, he kind of threw that in. I just want to revisit that for a second. 83 miles from London to Dover running. That's right, isn't it? Uh, rowing more than 21 miles across the English Channel and then cycling 186 miles to Paris. That's mind-blowing. And he was so matter-of-fact about it. And the big takeaway that comes through in that conversation for me, and is this running, is it business... It's probably life, really, isn't it? Focus on what you can do, the areas, the things that you can directly affect rather than dwell on the things that you can't affect. We all face setbacks. We're all going to get setbacks in life. How you deal with those setbacks is the clincher. It's the thing that makes you grow much more than how you deal with the good stuff. Because, you know, we can all get the good moments and the good times. But when something goes wrong and it will do uh, there'll be something that will happen when it does how you deal with that could be the thing that becomes your biggest success a quote to finish from gary he, he said it in somewhere else when i was reading a little bit about uh, his background i've made some amazing connections through running when you go for a run with someone your barriers are knocked down and you get to know someone in a much more informal setting. A lot of my business career has been about partnerships and to build a successful partnership, you need to understand someone and they need to understand you. Running brings that. 
Thanks, Gary. Fantastic conversation. Good luck with those challenges coming up. Uh, I'm Anthony Gay, and until next time, keep running and keep chasing your goals. Hold up. 